0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're ever planning a wedding, make sure to invite Jesus. Those of you that are good at math can crunch the numbers quickly. Six pots, 20 to 30 gallons apiece. That's like 120 gallons of wine at the low end and 180 at the high end. Not only vast quantity, right? But exquisite wine. This was the good wine. You saved it till the last. I want to immerse immerse ourselves in this wedding and on this account of Jesus' first miracle or sign. Note, just as sort of a side note, this is his first sign. Now, I know there are... um, Legends or stories within different uh, Christian traditions of Jesus performing miracles as a child. And if you are taking your theology from popular you know, TV shows or, or whatever about, about Jesus' life and ministry, you might see that. Um, but John's tell, John tells us here, this is his first, the first sign in his ministry. All right, let me start by providing some context. So first of all, in John chapter 1, the uh, section preceding this, Jesus has been baptized by John the baptizer, and he has called his first disciples. So now he has arrived at this wedding feast in Cana in Galilee, um, and he has those first disciples with him. So certainly Andrew, uh, Simon Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, and John would have been there with him. Uh, In those days, weddings were different than they are now. Nowadays, a couple gets engaged, there's a period of engagement, then there's a wedding, and at the wedding, the vows are exchanged. The marriage vows are exchanged, and they commit to one another. Uh, You have to look at this thinking more of the Jewish custom of that day. a betrothal was like a wedding. We've talked about this with Mary, you know, her betrothal was more like a, a wedding. And actually in the betrothal, there were uh, an, an exchanging of vows and a commitment that they made to each other. Now, when, the, when, uh, when they did that, they were betrothed, but they still lived apart. On the day of a, of a wedding, th- what would happen is the bride would be brought to the bridegroom and it would start a f- wedding feast. There were no more vows to be taken. That's already been done. But from here on out, they would live together as husband and wife. And a wedding feast would go for many days. Sometimes, customarily, it would be seven days, would be a wedding feast. Um, so it's not just like a, you know, afternoon at the, uh, at the Ritz or something like that. It's, it's, a, it's a longer event. Um, <clears throat> so in this account, the bride and the bridegroom are not mentioned by name. So we could only speculate as to who they were, but that's not even really necessary because who they are is not really the central point. Um, But it's clear that they were close family to Jesus or friends uh, because Jesus receives an invitation. Think of like a formal invitation. His disciples also receive an invitation, but it's more like they received an invitation on account of Jesus. And Mary, it doesn't say Mary was invited. It's more like she was expected. You know, if if you... you know read into the text here it's more like she was expected to be there like you would expect someone who was close family to be there as part of who would be helping like planning coordinating and that fits because mary knows the wine situation well she wouldn't know that if she was just a guest but she's not just a guest she's there helping and she knows the wine situation Oof, and it's dismal. Well, man, we're, we're running low on wine. What are we going to do? This is the first day of the wedding feast. It says the third day, but if you go back to chapter one, you see that the reckoning of days has to do with Jesus, his, his traveling and what was happening. Um, and so this is the third day in that reckoning, but it's the first day of the wedding feast, or at least it seems to be the first day of the wedding feast. Nevertheless, they're running low on wine. That's quite a situation. Um... And so Mary comes to to Jesus. Um, She wants to avoid this embarrassment that it would be for for this uh, couple. So let's take a closer look at the text. The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Okay, in this brief exchange, it's hard to understand the depth of what's being said. Um, there are some people who have said that Mary is telling Jesus to send his disciples away, almost like they were extra baggage, extra guests that weren't anticipated. Oh, we don't have enough wine. You've got to send your disciples away. That is, it's really preposterous. That's not, that's not... Um, plausible at all. I mean, wine was a staple of the day. E- even the poor had wine available. So it's, you know, it's, the quality of wine might not be, might not be good wine, but they, they had wine available. They wouldn't have uh, needed to send them away. Um, um, this is more like, and, and the, the other thing is Mary is not, she's not crying on Jesus' shol- shoulder saying, oh, we failed to plan properly. We just don't have enough wine. What are we going to do? No, she's, she's coming to him with the expectation that there's something he can do about it. She comes to him saying, we're running low on wine. You know what that means. And, and so she has, basically, she, she understands that there's something that he can do, and she expects something from him, something extraordinary. In his response, woman, woman. It sounds disrespectful, doesn't it? It's not. This is not a disrespectful term. Gunai, which is the word for woman, is not, It has no disrespectful con- uh, connotation associated with it. And besides that, he uses this elsewhere. If you go toward the end of John's gospel, John 19, this is where John records Jesus speaking to his mother from the cross, and he uses that same word. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Now, does that sound like a disrespectful term? You know, woman, behold your son. No. So it's not disrespectful. So don't don't read that into it. Now, as for the rest of his response, what does this have to do with me? Some translations say, what does this have to do with you and me? What What does this have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Now, see, this this can really be hard to understand. Jesus refers to my hour, and he is certainly looking ahead to that great hour when he would suffer on the cross. He might also be looking forward to the hour where he would perform this first sign of turning water into wine. In order to understand it, let's look at how Mary responded his mother said to the servants, "Do whatever he tells you." In other words, Mary understood in Jesus' response an implied promise. That doesn't come across because when Jesus says, "You know, what am I? What do you want? Me, this isn't my problem. What do you want me to do about it?" That, that's kind of the way it comes across, but that's not what he's saying, obviously, because Mary doesn't take it that way. She, she hears in his response an implied promise. This is, this is mine, and I will take this in due time. Now is not, now. this precise moment is not the time, but it's coming. That's, that's closer to, to understanding what he's saying. Now. So Jesus commanded the servants to fill the pots with water. Now, there are different words that you might see translated as servant in the scripture. One is doulos which is a bondservant, a slave. Okay, think slave. When you see a dual, well, when you see bondservant or slave, that's most likely, it, it depends on which translation you're using, but, but that is a slave. That is different. This here is diakonois, which is like, that's what we get the word deacon from. This is more of like a personal servant, someone who attends to your personal needs, to, to the needs. It could be someone who attends to the needs of the, Synagogue that would be uh, Um so it's 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 a, um, it's not it's not not the same thing as a as a slave. These these servants that are here. All right, but anyway, he says um, these are faithful servants. They do what Jesus says. Fill the jars. They filled them. Take the water out. Take and give it to the master. They take it and give it to the master. So they are faithful servants who are listening and doing the word that Jesus commanded them, which also goes back to what Mary is saying. Listen, do what he tells you. She's saying, do what he, Jesus, tells you. Now, the master of the feast, you might read that or hear that and think, oh, that must have been the, the head honcho, like the highest-ranking person there. That's not the idea either. The master of the feast would be like the, the master of the ceremonies, perhaps the best man, the person who's responsible for making sure that things are being uh, attended to and that all of the guests are being uh, satisfied, you know, that, that they're being served satisfactorily. Um, and he tasted the wine, and Wow! Where's this been hidden? It's not like he just showed up. You know, I mean, he's been involved in the preparations and he didn't know about this wine. Where'd this come from? But the servants know because they're the ones that went and drew water, which has now become wine. And this isn't the typical approach. Why why would you do that? Normally you serve the best stuff first. And then when someone's senses are dulled, then you bring out the rot gut, you know, wine for them to drink. Okay, now this is not drunkenness too. This is another area where there's some confusion. This, this is, drunkenness has no part in this. This is simply a matter of your senses becoming dulled by wine. Um, think of a sommelier, you know, the wine taster, the snooty wine taster who takes it and takes a sip and swishes it around and spits it out. And I'm totally against that, but I, I understand why they're doing it. They're doing it because alcohol will dull the senses well, you, you don't do that, dude. Does anyone do that? Okay, I'm sorry if I've offended anyone. <laughs> I, I am not in favor of that. So, but it's, it, it's because alcohol will dull the senses. So this is not drunkenness. This is just, you know, alcohol dulls the senses. All right. We come to our final verse in the passage. And this is the key. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And... His disciples believed in him. See, turning water into wine was more than a miracle. It was a sign. Furthermore, the sign manifested Jesus' glory for the disciples and for all who were there. And what was the result? The result is what Jesus' Jesus' signs and miracles are all about. It's what they have to, it's, it's their, their primary goal. His disciples believed in him. That was the key. See, they, they see the sign and their faith increases. And by the way, it, it is an increase in their faith. The, this was more, more clear in the Greek uh, because of the, the word that's used. It is, it, is, it, it implies an increasing in their faith. Uh, they had faith. They had believed. The disciples had believed when he called them, but now there's an increasing of their faith that has happened as a result of them seeing this sign. If you go to the end of John chapter 20, and by the way, I, oh, anytime I give someone a Bible, like for a baptism or um, you know, a confirmation or something like that, I always will write in there, John 20, 30 through 31, and I'll read it for you. This is what John says at the, toward the end of his gospel. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, all of these miracles, sure, they express Jesus' compassion. He heals the blind man. He raises Lazarus from Lazarus from the grave. He gives uh, sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. Yet, of course, he does that because he's God and he has compassion. He loves us. But even more important than that, he causes us and us being all of Israel, all of the church, all of the people who believe. He causes us to have faith, to turn to him in trust and faith and to believe and to receive. That's the, fo- that's the point of all of these miracles and signs. And John, John sums it all up that way. He says, look, all this is great, but he did a lot more than that. But what I've recorded is what I've recorded so that you would believe and that's so that you would have eternal life by trusting in Christ. Now, at the start of my sermon, I jokingly said that You always want to invite Jesus to your wedding because he can bring the good wine and lots of it. That's actually not a joke, but it just has to be understood properly. Jesus did this sign literally in history. But that said, it is also a picture of what Jesus has done for us. In our sinful state, we have been alienated and separated from God. In our alienation, God is our judge. And as he judges us, we're weighed in the balances and found lacking. We're lacking in the holiness that we should have, that we must have. We're lacking in the perfection that we must have. We're lacking in basically every respect, naturally. By nature, we lack that holiness and perfection. You might say we lack the wine that is needed for the wedding feast, for the marriage between God and Israel, the church. But the hour would come and has now come in which Jesus Christ spilled his blood for your sins. In the sacrament that you will receive, Christ gives you his body and blood In this sacrament, he gives you forgiveness. In Christ's shed blood, the bride and the bridegroom come together. No longer are you alienated from God. In Christ, you are holy and perfect and righteous in God's eyes. Gosh, he puts on those Jesus lenses, and he looks at you through those Jesus lenses and all of the, the filth that we carry around with us, he just, it just falls away. And, and he sees perfect, holy righteousness. How is this possible? Oh, Well, with God, all things are possible. And how is this possible? He's made it possible by Christ. Christ. In Christ, this has been made possible. In your baptisms, all the sin washed away. Taken up by Christ. In the sacrament, receiving Christ bodily, his body, his blood, in his word, Christ's word of promise to each one of you and to me, echoing in this room, going into our ears, into our brains, processing it there, and God, the Holy Spirit, working through that to build, to give us faith, to build our faith, to increase our faith. The Lord prepares a table for you, and his cup overflows. There is no shortage, none whatsoever. Goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.